It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Road. And recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Yo, welcome in uh, to an emergency episode of Football and Rain of Things. Shout out to all the people that are watching us live right now on the Cyclone Fanatic uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, Want to shout out our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. Uh, of course, the presenting sponsors of Football and Random Things. When it comes to selecting your seed corn partner, you've got a choice to make. At Wiffles Hybrids, we've made a choice too. A choice to remain independent, a choice to remain farm family owned, a choice to stay American. So when it's your time to make a choice, make a statement, plant your independence, plant Wiffles. Jeff, I was on my way up to Ames here uh, this morning for men's basketball interviews, and uh, I saw a Wiffles truck cruising down the road. I just about flagged him down to stop him and said, thanks for supporting football and random things. Do you do the farmer's wave? Just the, uh, the, uh, on the tractor. I should have, I should have cut him off and said, Hey, do you fart? Hey, I want to know how much you fart. I know. I want to know how much you fart. Also, you know, that people know that we're live because you did that weird burp thing, right? When we started the, right. You started Uh, the intro. So, you know, we're uh, live. Yeah. That would, that would have been edited out. (laughs) Yeah. It was a tough deal. Tough deal. Um, of course, we got breaking news to talk about today. Iowa State announcing changes to its staff, not un- unexpected changes. Matt Campbell announcing today that Iowa State offensive coordinator Tom Manning and D- director of football strength and conditioning Dave Andrews will not return to the program in 2023. A couple of pieces of news that I think have been brewing for, for quite some time. Uh, this is the quote from Matt Campbell in the statement, quote, decisions such as these are never easy because of the impact they have on lives of individuals and their families. However, in order for us to move the program forward, I felt it necessary to make these changes at this time, Campbell said. Tom and Dave are tremendous men who have had a hand in our success over the last few years, and we wish them and their families all the best in the future. Uh, Continuing on in the release, while Campbell's top-to-bottom review of the Cyclone program continues, Nate Shieldhouse will serve as the program's interim offensive coordinator, and Campbell will offer additional comments on his program review at a future time, Uh, which makes me, I don't know how you feel, Jeff, 
the fact that they put it that way makes me think there could be more decisions coming in the, mm-hmm. in the not so distant future, especially where they say, you know, Matt Campbell continuing his top to bottom review of the program. Uh, but what are your initial thoughts on, uh, on Tom Manning and Dave Andrews leaving the program? I think they're, they're separate thoughts um, that I think the Manning one, it, that's the least surprising because of, you know, we talked about it before, whether or not the relationship between those two guys um, is changed or is different or whatever, because Tom was the best man at Matt's wedding. So like, they're very good friends. Um, and, and Tom Manning has, has been like really instrumental in the success of the program really from the time that he got there. But at the same time, the, the fan base is so irritated with the OC and layer that on top of the fact that the offense drastically underperformed this year. I mean, substantially underperformed. So if there's going to be a staff change, you think that the OC is the one that's probably going to find the brunt of that. So I wonder how much of that is Matt saying you're fired versus Tom saying, look, buddy, like, I know I can't continue this for the sake of you. Let's just like, we, we probably should just, I can find a coaching job somewhere else. I'm cool with it. Like, I'm sure, I don't know how much of that direction went either way, but I think both probably recognize that it's not necessarily in either of their best interest for Tom to stay working at Iowa state with Matt. So I think that that probably, I would admit, I would imagine that was a pretty mutual decision. Like my guess is not, Matt saying, Tom, get out of here. And Tom saying, no, hey, how can you do that? I'm guessing that's really not the case. Um, well, I think anybody who's listened, who listened to Tom's interviews that he'd done with C-Dub at different times, I mean, I think you could tell that that affected him. The uh, vitriol he would take from the fan base, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it would be hard for it not to affect you, even if you're a grown man, you know, like that take it some pretty serious heat in that situation. Yeah. And it's, it's tough because the other thing is that like you can't if if you're Tom Manning in that position and let's just talk about like the the perception that he is is in and independent of the job that one is doing. So like even if you're an offensive coordinator just generally or a coordinator generally and your your unit's doing poorly, what other option do you have other than to take it? You know, you don't you you've absolutely no option. So let's say that there is the 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 backup quarterback's got a sprained ankle. The his backup's got a, a separated shoulder from practice, and the starter is just absolute garbage. Like is just playing really, really poorly. This no offense. Hypothetical. Yeah, hypothetical. I'm not saying this is actually yeah. true. Like hypothetically, um, and your offense is underperforming. You can't do anything because you can't put in any other quarterback. So you have to. It's not like you can just f- straight up flip your system. So the fans call for this hypothetical coordinator and say this guy sucks. What are you supposed to say that? No, my, these 18 to 22 year old kids, these guys suck and deflect blame to them. And you look like a terrible person that way. Or you say, my coach isn't putting me in a position with players. And then you're going to get fired because you're throwing your boss under the bus. So if you're a coordinator, you literally don't have any other option than to just take it. Like you have to absorb all of the, the criticism and whatever. So your really only option is succeed and hopefully not get critiqued. But I mean, even people like, how many people are critique? Let's say in the Pac-12 championship that happens tomorrow night, let's say USC scores 28 or tonight. tonight, Sorry, tonight. Uh, Let's say that USC scores 28 instead of 40. They're going to critique Lincoln Riley for his play. So you're going to take it at some point, no matter what. 
So he's in a position that's bad. And and like that, you kind of got, it comes with the territory, but that just weighs on you to the fact that you cannot explain yourself in a situation. You can't be like, well, here's why we're doing this because then it's argumentative and you can't say, no, this is someone else's fault because, you know, so it's just, it's a tough position to be in. So as a person, you can understand how much that's going to weigh on you like emotionally just to deal with all that. So yeah, it's a tough position to be in, but I, again, I think it is the right move for everybody for Manning to move on. So I would imagine that was a mutual decision. All right. So let, we'll come back to the the strength coach portion of this, but I took a bunch of questions on Twitter. A lot of them have kind of the same general gist, but I'm going to ask you this first for people who don't necessarily understand how the building works on a week to week basis. What is the role of the offensive coordinator in a, you know, day to day from a day-to-day standpoint, not on Saturdays when he's up in the booth calling plays, but Mm -hmm. on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, what is the offensive coordinator doing and how, how can you see maybe the failures of the offensive coordinator come through in what they're doing as an offense on Saturdays? So um, think of this as like an organizational structure where uh, the athletic director is the chairman of the board, the head coach is the CEO And then the coordinators are like your COO and your CFO. Like those are your guys that are the, the head coach as CEO, his job is in setting the general direction that all organizations, that all parts of the organization have to fit together so that your accounting department, your, your, your chief operating or your chief marketing officer or something like that knows what are we marketing? How are we marketing it to? Who are we trying to talk to? What products are we selling? What are the things that we are trying to do? And then from there, oh, and then on the other side of that, like the chief finance officer is going to be understanding where are we making these investments into? So the chief finance officer then goes to do his thing as far as making sure that the, the budgeting and financial processes match And then separately, the chief marketing officer is going through and trying to make sure the marketing process works. But the CEO's job is to tie it together. So in this situation, Matt is the CEO. The head coach is the CEO of this organization. And each coordinator is this chief marketing officer and chief financial officer, whatever. So they're in charge of taking the vision of the head coach and making it a thing that happens. And so in good organizations, it's that it works both ways where the offensive coordinator and the head coach are going to talk and say, what do we want to do with this offense? Do we want to be a run first offense? Do we want to be a spread offense? Do we want to be in Iowa state's case, multiple tight ends, multiple fullbacks? What are we going to do? But then the head coach ultimately has the decision. So if the head coach says, you know, Matt talks about complimentary football and, and Brent and Brent has done a really good job of it with the, Uh, Williams and Bloom podcast where they talk about if you go, if you try and be Texas tech where you're just zipping all the way down the field, that, that means that the total possessions that your defense is going to be on the field goes from like 12 to 17. And so the defense has to be prepared to be on the field for 17 series instead of 12. So your the, the defensive structure has to change. So ultimately what the head coach says goes, and he works with the offensive coordinator to say, we are going to run an offensive style that matches X, Y, and Z. And so from that point, you have the philosophical understanding and base of what you're going to do from there. What the offensive coordinator's job is, is to take that to his position coaches and say, here's what I want done because this is what we are going to be doing. We're going to be a three wide receiver, one tight end, one running back unit that we're going to try and possess the ball. We're going to try and do this, this, and this. And here are the ways that I want to do this because I think 
If we run, I think inside zone, these are the plays that I feel comfortable calling that I think our, our personnel can handle. We're going to be doing this where we're inside zone, outside zone, uh, play action stuff in these fronts, these protections, these, whatever. So the offense co- coordinator then communicates to his staff what's happening. And then the coordinator's jobs then are the ones that actually go to coach the players to do that job or the, the position coach, excuse me, are the ones that actually go execute and teach the steps to execute an inside zone or the steps to execute this, whatever, because it's been communicated all the way down. Now in an, any given week, what you're doing like the off season is preparing your guys to do that. Like it's working on the fundamentals of what the offense is going to be. It's identifying who should be playing. It's who best fits the system that we want to run. Who are our best players, the evaluation period. But like during the actual season, what the offensive coordinator is doing is saying, okay, within the scheme of our offense, where do we think we have schematic advantages if we do x y and z so you've watched game film you've prepared you've talked to your players you've talked to whatever and you've said okay here's what i think we're probably going to be doing this week because our interior offensive line is better than their interior defensive line and xavier hutchinson has an opportunity against their corners if we set up in these formations, we can get this coverage. We can do whatever, whatever. And so it's coming up with a plan on how to execute your offense against that particular defense and then communicating, Hey guys, we are going to be doing a lot more inside zone against number 67, the defensive tackle. And here are their fronts. Here are their protections. So the coordinator's job isn't just calling plays. It's setting up the, uh, the game plan on it. And I think people have a misunderstanding because like the video games are like Madden and, and NCAA football are one. If you've never played them, do it. Like if you don't understand football very well, or you like would like to understand it better, those games are awesome as far as teaching like what coverages are and stuff like that. But I think people under misunderstand it because they go, Oh, I'm going to run cover four. And on defense and then the players just do it. Like they just are in the right spot. If you watch it's, it's hard for me to watch high school football most of the time, because if on 11, like if there's 11 guys on one side of the field in professional football, 10 or 11 of those guys are doing the right thing on any given play. They are in the right spot. They're using the right technique. And that's why it's so hard because very very few guys are out of position. Every once in a while, one or two guys will make a bust. And then you get this. It it looks like it's a wide open touchdown, but it's so rare to see that. So 10 or 11 out of 11 are in the right spot in college, high level college, like let's say big 12, probably eight or nine out of every 11 are doing the right thing at any one given moment. There's usually two or three guys, even on at Alabama for good good teams, teams. even, even at Georgia, like eight or nine out of the guys are doing the right thing. The other two or three are somewhat, I mean, they're using the wrong leverage. They're in the wrong spot. Their eyes were wrong. There's something like that. It's just sometimes the other team doesn't take advantage of it in high school. By comparison, there's usually like five or six that are doing the right thing. And the other five or six are completely off and it's really bad. But come back to that Madden NCAA point, you have to prepare your guys to understand what they're going to be doing when you do call outside zone. Like they have to know what's the front going to look like. If they do this, what do I need to do? So it's not just calling plays. It's understanding what your script probably is going to be for Saturday, working back and saying, these are the core 30 plays that we can probably use. And then practicing and preparing your team 
to run those 30 plays because they're humans who have to learn it and they have to adjust on the fly to make sure that you're closer to that eight, nine, 10, 11 guys doing the right thing, as opposed to four five, six guys doing the right thing and being in the right, in the right spot. So it's, it's preparing yourself to get to your call sheet. So on Saturday, you actually can use it. And there might be things when you're going through practice and you have a list of 30 plays long that you go. And during practice, you're like, our left guards cannot pick up this play, cross it off the list. It doesn't exist. We can't use it. No way. So it's the organizational underpinnings of getting yourself to be able to use a call sheet on Saturday to prepare them to understand it. Okay. So let me ask you this. Do you feel based on what we saw from Iowa state this year, do you feel that there is a need for significant schematic changes or do you think this is more of a, just need a new voice in the room? I think more like significant changes because of the personnel that they have, uh, unless they're going to get a complete overhaul of the roster to bring it back to what they've been the last few years. I don't think they have the capacity to do that. So using the coordinator as an example, uh, you know, they mentioned players formations plays always. And so what does that mean in the context of the last five minutes that I was just talking is players formations plays. What, how can we best with our playbook, with our call sheet, yeah. How do we get, get our best 11 on the field as often as possible? Yeah. And how yeah. do we then set them up for success? How do we get what, what formations can we use to get Xavier Hutchinson one-on-one with a corner? If we can get him one-on-one, we're going to throw it to him. So you're starting to understand our best guys, you know, last year, our best guys are Charlie and Brees and Xavier. How do we get them the ball as best we can? Because they are our best players this year. They didn't do that as well because they weren't, calling plays or formationing to get guys other than Xavier the ball as well as they could. So it feels like you kind of philosophically have to flip the whole thing because what this offense looks like it wants to be is you have some skinny tight ends that are better route runners than they are blockers. You have some wide receivers that you have more slot receivers than you have wide receivers really. Uh, So you need to be able to play an offense that is more open. So you can give Jalen Noel space to read zones, spaces to get one-on-one. And then your, your tight ends in matchups on linebackers where Deshaun Hannigan can be going against an outside linebacker. He can win that matchup. So it's not like, it's like they didn't necessarily address it as well as they could. Um, And that's, I think, where the big structural changes need to happen is we can start getting your guys in better positions to allow their strengths to succeed and to mitigate their weaknesses as much as you can. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so then now this aspect of Nate Shieldhouse being the interim offensive coordinator, there's been a lot of questions about that. Uh, I guess the first thing I would ask is what, what do you need an offensive coordinator for in the first week of December when your season's over? Well, you have to, I mean, it's still the same thing. It's like, if you don't have a CFO for uh, two months, what's going to happen? Like, yes, the people are going to be still doing, whether it's accounting or spending or purchasing, like they're still going to be doing the things inside the company, but it's not going to be tied together at all. So if you don't have an offensive coordinator, that's relaying the information that, okay, Matt, we're, we're thinking, Whoever the new offensive coordinator, whatever next year is going to be, we need to make sure that we upgrade speed at running back because we're going to be playing more wide open or we're going back to this tight end stuff. So we need to start making sure that we get our offensive or our tight ends bigger and, and make sure they understand that. And so the guys then have an understanding of what's going on. And when there is something that is confusing you have to be able to relay it up to somebody to be able to clarify that so that Matt doesn't have to answer 1500 questions from everybody that's going on that Nate or whomever. So Nate being the interim can start making decisions based on what Matt wants to, to be like an, it's an interim CFO position. Like, maybe he stays there, maybe he doesn't. But if you don't have that, then everybody's just working on doing their own random thing. And it does, it just doesn't make sense. So like you have to have a coordinator. So in recruiting and when you're coaching your guys and you're going over off season evaluations and you're meeting with everybody, you still have to have a direction for what that's going to be. Otherwise it just turns into chaos. Someone asked who the best offensive coordinator you've been around at Iowa state is that's easy. Tom Herman. It's Tom Herman. I mean, yeah. Uh, and what did he what did he do that made him so good as an so, offensive coordinator not i'm not talking about as a head coach or any of that stuff as an oc what made tom herman such a good oc it's uh, it's a thing i still use in like in management like if i'm coaching you know classes if I, whether it's ai or crossfit or, or working with one of my like team members like it is what is the one thing like what is your one thing that you must get done at any given moment on this play so you're running say inside zone, like the Oklahoma state thing is the most like that. That is the most easy for people to kind of put in their brains. That is an inside zone to the right. The first most important thing is hold on to the ball. So like underlying everything is just don't fumble. Number two is I need to make sure that I keep my eyes on the first down hand past the center. So on the, the run is going to the right, whoever the down line man lineman is on the first one to the right of the center. If he gets push to the left. I go to his right. If he gets pushed to the right, I go to the left. I'm just watching him. And so what Herman was really good at is communicating to his staff, receivers, coaches, running backs, coaches, whatever. What is the one thing that must happen on this play for it to be successful? And beyond that, if, so if you're a lineman and your job is you have to get your head to the outside of your blocker or of, of the defender you're blocking. And if you don't, 
it's not going to work. If you can get your head to the outside and pancake the guy, awesome, better for everybody. But you minimally have to get your head to that side. So the thing that he was really good at is communicating early in the week, what is the one thing that you must do in order for this play to be successful? And then from there, you get to institute that so you understand the offense really well because his coaches have a pretty clear understanding of what's happening. Your players have a pretty clear understanding of what's happening. And then from there on Saturdays, he has confidence that if he calls a given play, his play sheet that he's got, he trusts that the guys on the field and the the coordinators on the side or the coaches on the sideline are going to understand what is going to make this play, this individual play successful if I were to call it. So that I think is the thing that he did the strongest is what is the one thing that you must do? Anything on top of this is cake. Like that's all gravy. Is just what do what is the minimum thing to do for success, and you have to understand that to your bones, and then you can be successful. So that was the thing that like that is a that is a lesson that I took from him that that that's what he does really really well. Thanks everybody for tuning in with us right now here on Football and Random Things, an emergency edition of Football and Random Things, of course presented by our friends at Wiffles Hybrids. Let's flip this thing over to the strength side of things. Uh, this is a this is the one that I think is a little bit more. Uh, I guess you could say odd uh, Matt Campbell now going to be on his third strength coach going into, what will this be year seven? Uh, and each of the first two have been, I don't know, mutual parting the way, whatever left the program. Uh, what do, what's your reaction to the strength coach situation first? That one's a little weirder. Yeah. Um, it's a weird deal. Weird deal. Because the strength coach, I mean, I've heard the same thing about Iowa where it's like when Doyle left Iowa, they went downhill, but at the same time, they're off or their defense has only gotten better. So the strength coach works with both sides of the ball. So you can't say that, uh, that because one side is bad, that they're not fast and strong enough. But at the same time, the other thing that people don't recognize about the strength and condition coordinator is, uh, you see them far and away the most of any coach on staff like and it's not even close like so yancey mcknight was our often or our strength coach and i love yancey still do and he was you see yancey and the rest of his staff every day that you're on campus you see your coaches during the football season and during spring ball and every once in a while when they're not recruiting but they got other stuff that they're doing because they have to go recruit they have to travel they have to do whatever so your strength coach, one, one part of it is the actual, are you strong and fast enough to complete the job that you need to complete? Like if you're a wide receiver, you should be fast and you should be probably not be carrying around extra weight that you don't need. So like uh, 195, 195 pounds lean at wide receiver is better than 210 with a little chub versus like uh, a defensive lineman one, I mean, fat don't flex, like you want to still be lean, but at the same time, if you're 270 versus being 245 as an interior defensive lineman, that mass is harder to move. So it's not the worst thing. So it's getting the position, the people in the positions physically that they can handle it. But at the same time, because you're around them so much, they are the number one drivers of culture. So you, the attitude that a a kid takes when they are approaching a, a drill or practice or a game or a snap or whatever a lot of them's from what the strength and conditioning coordinator and their team has put into everything. So if that strength and conditioning coordinator isn't in total lockstep with your head coach, as far as 
discipline as far as how you discipline, as far as how you encourage, how you reward, what's the thing that you want to make sure that they, they mentally and emotionally are like bought into. If they're not in total lockstep, then the culture starts to drift away from where the head coach wants it because the strength and conditioning coach has so much control over that. So my guess is it wasn't necessarily a fitness thing so much as it was, they weren't in lockstep with where they thought things were going. And, and that might be like a minor difference and that, uh, Andrews was looking somewhere else to maybe he wanted a different job or whatever, or maybe it was something substantial that was like causing a rift between the two of them to be able to like where they think everything's going. But the, yeah, the strength coordinator, I would guess that is more a cultural and directional decision than it is a result of fitness and strength decision. It's just weird because it, I mean, he was so he was credited so much with what they were able to do in, in 2020 and got, I mean, had been praised so heavily that, which is true. Yeah. When, I, that's when, the, I, yeah, when I first started to hear about these things, that was just odd to me because I was like, man, that just, that doesn't seem to vibe, but that, I, I mean, it makes more sense. You know, when you realize they do spend so much time with them, there's a lot of things that happen with that strength coach. Well, I mean, a hundred percent, 98%, 99% of the things that happen with that strength coach we'll never see. You know, yep. so it's like, no, it's hard for anyone who's not in that room to be able to give like a real opinion or give analysis of it because it's like, no one's there. The only people mm -hmm. that are there are the players and the strength coaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's also a strength coach is a hard job. Like being whether or not, I mean, Andrews gets paid enough, but like any assistant coach that you're in there, because you've got 115, 120 guys that you're trying to get different goals to like, well, Trevor Football, Ryan, we, Trevor Ryan's one of those guys played for yeah, so, is one of their but, guys for Iowa State right now. Yeah. But like, if you think about football, that's different than almost every other sport is that the, the unique position that a person is playing determines their physical benefit or determines the physical benefits necessary more than any other sport. If you're like the world cup right now, someone playing defense and someone playing like forward, those are pretty, I mean, you need to run, be able to handle the ball. Like you have to be fit enough to run miles and miles and miles, an offensive guard and a corner almost are playing completely different sports. Like what's beneficial to be, what's beneficial to being a guard is to be like built like a tank have a really low center of mass, but have really long arms and be strong as a bull. If you put that guy at corner, he's going to get, I mean, that's the worst thing that you could possibly do. And, and basketball, there's still like some difference because you know, like Bob Jones is not doing what Taman Lipsy's doing, but they're both dribbling, shooting, passing. Like they're still more or less doing the same mm -hmm. thing. So in football, it's so different. So when you have a strength staff, you have to segment guys because defensive and offensive linemen are kind of similar in their needs. Receivers and corners are kind of similar, but those two pairings have nothing to do with each other. So you have a lot of guys on staff that don't make a lot of money and they're there forever. And so if you, if again, if, if there is some deviation on maybe the guys aren't in the strength staff coaching, maybe they're not as bought into being there for 16 hours a day, 300 35 days out of the year, maybe they're starting to get tired of it because X, Y, and Z, and therefore are not putting in the effort they want to. You, you have no idea what it actually is, but that is a really, really hard job to do really well. All right. So this is another one that someone had asked me. It, it kind of plays into what you were just talking about. I mean, that defensive line has been fantastic for, mm -hmm. for years now. I don't think anybody is going to question the strength of that defensive line. But I think there's a lot of people who would probably question the strength of the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Where is that disconnect? How does that happen? 
you know, where you can get into a situation and can, and can you bring in a different strength coach and hope to see some of those gains on the offensive side, as well as what you're seeing on defense? Well, I don't think that it's necessarily like a strength. Well, okay. So let's say this strength, power, and fitness are different than executing capacity. So Mm -hmm. you could have the strongest, most athletic person, and you probably played with them. Like in any, any sport, you have these freak athletes that can bench press more than everybody and run faster than everybody. And then you get them on the field and they're not very good. Like your guy, your left tackle can come in and squat 650 pounds, but if you can't block anybody, it don't matter. Exactly. Like, that's so, basically what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, the, the strength coach's job is to prepare you mentally and physically to go out there and do it. It is the position coach's job to translate that mental and physical toughness and strength into executing capacity. And so if the, I would imagine if you took the weight room numbers of and and like the sprint, the explosiveness numbers, the offensive line is probably just about as explosive as the defensive line. Like Isaiah Lee and Daryl Simmons are probably very similar in the weight room, but it's the executing capacity to take that power and turn it into something where coaching matters to do that. So like the, the strength coach's job is to provide a good raw material to the position coach. The position coach's job is then meant to form that into something that works. So the strength coach might be providing good raw materials, but if they're not getting coached now on the other side of it, you might just have better athletes that are playing defensive line. Like maybe when you're recruiting kids out of high school, the the guys, I mean, Trevor Downing seems like he's a guy like squats tractors, like that physically strength is there. Literally, but maybe he literally might. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, that's only half a joke. Uh, but you might have, you just might have guys that, that are not quite as physically strong because they're looking for different skill sets in recruiting. But like, I, I would imagine it is less a strength coaching issue between when you compare those two positions than it is, uh, a execution execution yeah. thing of taking that power and strength and turning it into useful plays. All right. So like I said at the beginning, I, I would probably be pretty surprised if, uh, if this is the end of any changes that will be made for, for Iowa state, I think right now we'd probably be, we'd be speculating on anything else, but I mean, I think if, if you're hiring an offensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator, I think you have to assume that that guy will have some level of say in who his assistants will be. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Agree? Cause it's, it's your, your, you have to a whole different, a whole different operation, but that's a whole different operation. And you have to be back to that, you know, that corporate thing is if you're the, the CMO, you see chief marketing officer of some company, the person that you are getting to do the thing, you know, like you have to be able to trust that when you say something, or when you ask them to do something or you ask their opinion on something that that person is out for the best interest of you and the rest of the team and that you agree with each other and work well with each other. Like you don't want to be put in a position where one of your most direct reports is an asshole. Like you, if, if, and that you just don't agree, like that is a really bad situation, especially because on the offensive side, they only get four coaches because there are six defensive coaches and there's a limit that the NCAA puts on that you can only have, 10 position coaches. So the offense is only got there. There's six on defense. There's only four that they're going to have. So you got to make sure that those four are really simpatico, like that they play nicely with each other, that understand everything similarly can understand feedback from each other. Like that's a really important thing. So I would imagine the reason why they haven't announced anything else. My guess is with the shield house thing is that he is the interim OC 
while they look for somebody else. And if they have someone else targeted, then if they can't get that guy, then Nate potentially could be the full-time OC, but I'm guessing they're searching for someone else. And then once that guy gets hired, he'll determine and kind of meet with the guys and, and determine if he wants to, if he feels like there is a better coach that he works better with to execute the thing that he wants to do. And then at that point they would turn the under, like they would turn over the under staff, but I would, yeah, I would guess they're not done, but I would guess this is a, a reasonable pause until the full OC gets put in place. And then you start making the decisions on the position coaches beneath it. Tony on Facebook says we should clone Eli Rashid and have his clone coach the offensive line. Man, that'd be fun. I think coach Just, Sheed could handle it. Coach Sheed 2.0. No. Yeah. I was, uh, I was trying to come up with a Rashid Wallace. It's just his name is Wallace. It's not, Eli Rashid, but it's just Rashid Wallace getting received Rashid Wallace to be your offensive line coach. That'd be pretty good. Ball don't lie. Ball don't, Ball don't lie, lie, man. Uh, all right, Jeff, we'll talk to you again soon. Like I said, I think there'll be more conversations to have here in the, in the coming weeks, but thanks to everybody who tuned in live. Thanks to everybody for listening on the podcast feed. Thanks again to Wiffle Cybers for being the presenting sponsors of football and random things. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.